I remember watching this guy playing the guitar and this guy was doing more to help every single person in that station than like anyone else just by singing his heart out. I was actually tearing up just listening to him. And I was like, wow, like he is just raising, like elevating the the vibration of this whole place, like to, to the vibration like of love, to like the level of love, just because he was just being so authentic. I was like so amazed by like, he's doing more work to heal everyone in this place than like the doctors that think they're better than everyone going from station to station. Like that was so powerful to see. And I think that just comes from being present in the moment. If I was on my phone, I wouldn't have noticed that. I wouldn't have been there to experience it and gain the information that that carried with it. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It matters more how you're doing it. Hey everyone, it's David. Welcome to Humans of Harvard College podcast. It has been a solid minute since we've been on, and I'm tempted to just hop back into the thick of things and pretend that our last episode wasn't a couple months ago. I'm also tempted on taking a long walk down Reflection Road and meander through all the things that happened along my podcast journey since the last time I was able to share stories on this platform. So many things, so many temptations, and obviously, so little time. So let me just say this one thing. I really did forget how much this little segment at the beginning of each episode means to me. This little space, just this little space to share something that made me wonder recently. And I try and kid myself and say it's our space, a space for you, the listener, and I. But it's hard to see it that way without hearing you. Sometimes I wonder if sharing thoughts is a selfish act, an act meant to soothe the thought sharer in knowing that the thought isn't stuck inside them, that others have it, and that you are not alone. Truth be told, I do feel a bit selfish taking this time, and I'm not quite sure how to deal with that just yet. In due time, I hope to share through my story and through the walks in the dialogical forest whether I come to terms with this thought. Regardless of all of this, all my best to you, listener, for hearing this. Every time I record, I think of you. Thank you. Oh boy, I miss saying this, but today we have a very, very special guest. This guest is unique because I met her nearly a year ago to record our podcast. However, mainly through my mistakes, We had to postpone and re-record and postpone and re-record her episode. Finally, after so long, her story is here to be heard. She's a senior in Adam's house, concentrating in sociology, and has a strong interest in education. To start off this episode, I ask her what is one thing that is central to her story, an irreplaceable chapter in her book of life. And we start our conversation there. Everyone, please welcome Claudia Cabral. Because the first thing that I actually came to mind when you did ask the question, though, was like the word being. And I think that's a, a big theme that I would like to share about myself. Like, you know, it's humans of Harvard, right? Humans of Harvard College and um, like the human part, like we are human beings. And I think like a huge part of my essence, a huge part of my being is just being <laughs> in the moment being present and constantly like returning to that natural core essence, you know, and we're, we're human. Part of that is human. So that means we get, we detract, we get off course and on course and on again, and you can be on and off course at the same time. And just the like tuning into feelings and tuning into the self tuning into knowing, um, I would say my essence, my being, that is something that is a huge theme about myself. And I think that's something that I would like to make sure is said mm-hmm. and explore today just because um, I feel like 
just that piece can solve so, 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 so many things. Like I know when my mind is running, sometimes I don't know how to bring it back. That's the human part. But I know that bringing it back is the being part. <laughs> Yo, that's amazing. That's fascinating. If I might just dissect this being part, what's your reaction to the phrase living in the moment, right? Is that an accurate portrayal of what you're trying to describe here or is, there, is it more complex than that? I'd say it's about it. I actually have like a mantra on like a sticky note on my thing here. And it says, I trust this present moment with my whole heart. I could say that again if that was not recorded properly, but I trust this present moment with my whole heart. And I think it's just realizing that everything we need, like almost everything we need is right here. And if it's not right here physically, you have the knowledge that you'll that you need it and that's in the moment like and I can clarify that like I all I'm saying is with you with the phrase you said yes I do agree with it living in the moment is definitely a huge part of being I feel like we have so much information right here right now but because we're so sometimes our minds are in different timelines like we're either back in the past or are off into the future but honestly what we need is right here and yeah. all that is, is like the next step. Because that's all you can do. <laughs> yeah. You know, that reminds me because I went on the subway recently to go to, uh, to go to the Boston Commons. And I've noticed something I've never noticed before when I, well, first of all, I don't really ride subways that often. I'm from California and we all know the horrible situations with high speed rails there. I don't think it would ever occur, but off topic, uh, I love riding the subway. And specifically, I have a rule where I don't look at my phone on the subway. I look at, it's going to sound kind of creepy, but I kind of just look around and look at other people. And most of the time, everyone's on their phone. And something struck me that never really occurred to me before, but on the subway, everything's really still. Like really still, like stasis still. Like no one's moving. Yeah, sure, the, the car is bumping around, it, but everyone's just kind of frozen looking at the phone or just staring off into space. And I don't want to milk the metaphor too much here, but it really feels like the subway is like this kind of crystallized form of life where no one's moving. They're just in this trans- transition period between getting from point A to point B. And I think living in the moment doesn't occur on the subway in a way, right? You're, you're either coming from somewhere or going someplace, but not in some, you're not, on the subway in some ways you're in this weird (laughs) you know what i mean like you're in this weird like teleporting state of just not doing anything you're frozen right i I really encourage anyone to just look at this when they're on the subway next time everyone's so still i interesting no i love riding the subway too (laughs) yeah Um, yeah i love it and also people watching i do it more out of like safety you know like i need to be aware of my surroundings and be present especially if i'm you know alone doing my thing um but the reason why i brought that up is because i think this truth of living in the moment i think is is a mantra that's well like often said but hardly practiced and also i think people i think people are aware of the phrase but don't believe in it and i was wondering for you if this was a truth that you had to come to believe or this was something that you always believed i mean i i know of plenty things that took me a long time to truly believe in like for instance perfectionism is something that i long believed in school until i realized one day it was like it's not necessary you know i'm gonna anger a lot of people saying this i apologize to those who i who have tuned out of the podcast already but um yeah perfectionism is is a trap in many ways at least for me and how i've utilized it but Again, for you, though, has this been a truth that you had to learn over time or something that you felt like was part of you for a very, since the beginning, whatever that may mean? (laughs) Yeah. Well, first of all, like that perfectionism, like comment, like, oh, my God. And especially in school, like that's a whole can of worms. Like we can open that later if you want. Let's open it. Let's open it right now. Let's open it right now. But I do really want to comment on the other piece, though. So I'll definitely mention, like, I don't think it's a matter of believing in the idea of living in the moment. I think it's a matter of trusting it because 
honestly and that's why the fr- that's why I phrased that little mantra on my sticky note on my you know on the wall the way it is I trust this present moment with my whole heart and it's because I can be in the moment but and I know that the only thing that I can do will happen in the moments that I'm in in order to get to the future I want in order to overcome the past that, that was um but the thing is like if you don't trust in it, you're not going to get the information that you need from it. Like, for example, like being on the subway, like I do, like when I am anywhere, like I want to, you know, I see life as a meditation. So like just watching people come and go. And I remember one time when I was on the subway earlier this semester, um, I saw someone like playing the guitar in the, um, the station in the station yeah and this was during the time like this is winter time this is early february and it's cold it's been dark for so long we're in lockdown everyone's frustrated and angry and i'm looking around like there's people yelling like i remember people like on the phone call yelling at someone i remember just people just being like just rude and or just totally zoned out on their phones walking and i'm like hello people like are you even here and i remember watching this guy playing the guitar and you know you can judge the like people do judge the kinds of people who you know are just you know not the ones all dressed up ready to go somewhere on the tee like judging like you know I'm well I don't know some people do judge um so and like some people think that they're better than others just by because they have whatever clothes they have whatever phone whatever technology whatever place they're going to Um, But this guy was doing more, like he was doing more to help every single person in that station than like anyone else just by singing his heart out. I was actually tearing up just listening to him. And I was like, wow, like he is just raising, like elevating the the vibration of this whole place, like to to the vibration of love, to like the level of love just because he was just being so authentic. I was like so amazed by like, he's doing more work to heal everyone in this place <laughs> than like the doctors that think they're better than everyone going from station to station. Like that was so powerful to see. And I think that just comes from being present in the moment. If I was on my phone, I wouldn't have noticed that. I wouldn't have been there to experience it and gain the information that that carried with it. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It matters more how you're doing it. So... And I think a lot of people our age in college are like, I need I want to have a career that like helps the world. I want to do this. I want to do this. Like, okay, you could be a doctor, but an asshole. (laughs) You can be a, like a janitor, but a loving presence that honestly is helping the world more than an asshole doctor (laughs) (laughs) or something like that. So just tying back to the initial prompt or like the initial prompting question is like, it comes from a matter of trusting that that moment can offer you so much information versus me being scattered thinking about my next step versus me being scattered lingering in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And on that same note too, about trusting that said moment can provide something unprovidable by not paying attention to it. Um, I, for the longest time, I was that person, whenever I was on a walk, I would always be listening to music. And actually when I dropped off the microphone at your place, I don't know if you saw me, but I, I took off my earbuds as I approached you because I was listening to music. Mm. And I met with a fascinating professor the other day. His name's Ernst Carroll. He uh, teaches a class on sonic ethnography. And, and he said something that I, I frankly was aware of, but like you said, didn't trust it in that sound in the moment is such a beautiful aesthetic that we take for granted. And for me, I, I tone all that out with, you know, I'm, I'm listening to whatever Drake or, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Adam Levine on, on, on my, on my earbuds and I don't listen to my surroundings. So, um, you know, last night I took a walk along the Charles and really just listened for the very first time. Well, I've, I've, you know, I've walked before with no headphones, but, but like really actively listened and it was ethereal.
I think I completely understand now what you mean by trusting versus believing. Like I believed it, you know. I I think it's true that if you listen around you, uh, you can probably gain some beautiful insights. But without practicing it, that meant I didn't trust it. I was af- not afraid, but just dubious that if I were to do it, something were to happen. But I did, and it worked. And I would completely recommend anyone to uh, to try this out. Actually, anecdotally speaking, I feel like people here on the East Coast and that conclusion is already fraught because I've only been to Boston. So that's not representative of the East Coast, but still, you get my point. People here in Boston and Cambridge, I feel like very few people actually listen, like have earbuds in as they're biking or running or walking, at least from what I've seen so far. But when I lived in California, literally everyone, everyone is listening to music um, while they are traveling, right? Um and, you know, I don't want to draw any, like, cultural differences here, but I definitely feel like there's a different vibe in that sense. I guess if I were to modify my original question, which is, like, when did you start believing it? When did you start trusting it, I guess, to live in the moment? Because, again, it could have, was it from the beginning or also it took a time for you to decide or mm-hmm. a change of mindset? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's on and off. I think that's the human being part where it's, like, at the core of it, there's my being and there's that knowing, that trusting, that person who is in flow and is aware and is as authentic as possible. That's the core. But like we just keep, I detract and come back. I detract and come back. And this can happen over months. This can happen over years. This can happen over days or just minutes. Um, but like, I feel like I, when I wrote that little sticky note, I did it a few days ago. Like, honestly, hey, like, it's just, I finally feel like I came back to that. And like, there's, there's on and off moments where I'm like, okay, I'm here. I'm trusting. I'm believing. Um, I am in the moment. I'm in flow. But there's times I'm just not. And I'm a little off course because I either like, you know, something, something happened. I'm not processing. I'm not facing. I'm, you know, a little off balance. Um, so I feel like it's an ever flowing thing. Like, I feel like, as a kid, it was such a natural thing to do. Like, I remember as a kid, I would be, like, we lived in front of a cul-de-sac. So, like, that was a great place to have a childhood because then we would always just play in there and, like, call the neighbors over. And we had, like, a tiny patch of grass um, that was just, like, not someone's property um, because it was, like, kind of like a circle but not a house on every side, on all parts of the circle. So, like, that chunk of grass... I would just remember, I remembered I would like, I would take a dandelion, like, and just look at at the whole stem. Like, I could probably describe to you in perfect detail what it looks like just because I was so present in that moment as a kid, just looking at how fuzzy the stem is, how every single petal is its own little piece, what it feels like, what it like looks like, and taking it apart little by little just to see what else is underneath. And I think it's such a natural thing that I did as a kid. So natural. But then we grow up and then just get also, for some reason, just the world gets, well, not the world gets in the way. It's more like we're just human. <laughs> it's the human part. We're like, we'll just get in our minds and we start becoming more conscious of things. And so I was, you know, consciously staying in my mind a little bit more. And then I realized, oh, wait, no, I can come back and return to this flowing, knowing state. And then, you know, life happens, I keep going, and then I can return to the state. And it's just, it, it comes and it goes, and it's just part of being a human being. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's unrealistic to assume, unless you've been living in the mountains your entire life, that you can stay forever in this state. And I think especially given the circumstance of education. So I'm going to ask a very loaded question. Do you think school helps you stay in the moment? Um, <laughs> that was a very horrible question and I <laughs> I feel like it's such a personal thing like the people who taught me the things that taught me weren't that being in the moment being present the things that showed me the way like that was the role model for me to like to do like I have I read books I talk to people I have people in my life who also embody these ideas at the end of the day, I feel like it was just an inner knowing. And I can't exactly recall a 
a teacher or a school situation that served as a role model for me that this is the way, you know? I can't exactly say that the people I encountered, you know, showed me this. I feel like it was an inner knowing. So yeah. this isn't, so like to answer your question, I don't know if there, the original question, I don't know if there's a real answer to that because I don't know if school itself is doing it. I think it's a matter of just embodying it and being that living example. Like I always, I just always go back to the quote of like being, be the change you wish, wish to see in the world. Like you can preach all you want. You can teach like, and I'm doing air quotes for those who are listening. Um, you can teach whatever you want, but at the end of the day, you need to be shown the way like, or you just have to, or it's just an inner knowing that this is the way. Um, could schools do a better job to facilitate that inner growth experience? Sure. Life is just a life growth experience anyway, right? And it's just a matter of choosing, mm-hmm. you know, to grow, choosing to heal, to face the world, to be present. So I don't know. I'm not quite sure I can directly answer that question just from the way that I see this. If that makes sense, I can totally clarify. No, I that does make sense. But when I the reason why I ask this question is just from personal experience, just you know, I, you know, I would love to live in the moment, you know. It's it seems great. And the way you describe it too seems like it's truly something that I think people need to strive for. But at the same time, it really feels like a flower growing through concrete. You know, it feels like the environment in which we are set to do this isn't conducive or wasn't created to be complementary to this type of lifestyle. I think Google Calendar is a great example, right? Constantly looking two, three weeks in ahead, seeing that there's this event scheduled, that event scheduled. You, uh, you know, every, there's a bunch of when to meet links always sent out. Um, oh, you want to meet up at this time, meet up at that time. And I understand that these are logistically relevant and logistically necessary to maintain some sort of order within a chaotic environment. questions is is because yeah is because i don't think i've truly felt what it's like to live in the moment i think if i have i would understand that it's not something i need to look for i just need to trust like you said but um i am curious though when you say that you live because i just love that story of your childhood and looking at the dandelion well dandelion yeah dandelion and uh, i'm curious where was that your childhood Yeah, I was born in Canada, so in Mississauga, which is near Toronto. Um, And I spent my first 11 years of life there. Um, Yeah, that was, that's where I lived. (laughs) Nice. And then did you move to the States after that? Yeah. When I was 11, I started middle school in South Florida. South Florida? And then did high school there. Yeah, I did high school there. My family still lives there now, and I'm in Boston now for Harvard. <laughs> there you or go. Cambridge. Cambridge. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I I guess I would like to explore a little bit more about cuz we had a conversation yesterday and I I just loved how you put it that you know, you like people and that's why you're studying sociology, right? Humans. Humans. So yeah, so just to clarify, you are concentrating in sociology and with a secondary in educational studies, correct? Correct. Yeah, so were those always your areas of interest coming into college? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Oh my God. Like I, for like so many years, well, okay. So let's see. When I was back in elementary school, whenever people would ask me, I didn't know what to say. So I just said singer or dancer or something let's like go. that. You know, you know, it's just what you got to do. And then like when I would draw a picture, I saw myself behind a microphone. 
And I was like, that's right. still the vision I hold. Oh, I guess I am behind a microphone. You are behind a microphone right now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the vision of being behind a microphone, that's something that no matter what, that's been a consistent thing. Whatever that means. Well, here's one example. Um, but then, you know, as years went on, like, and I started, like, being around, um, you know, at, I'm in middle school and um, in the U.S., and... I was in regular classes before because in Canada, there was no difference between like who's advanced, who's not. But then because I was doing well, they're like, oh, wait, you should be in advance. So I started going to the advanced track and being surrounded by people who like who had parents who like were all kinds of things like engineers, doctors and stuff like that and scientists. So then it started making me think like, okay, so what do I want to do? And so I just did the basic answer. I'm like, well, I really like National Geographic as a kid. So maybe I'll be a marine biologist because we live in Florida now. And then in middle school, I I found my small group of people. Like I just had my key people, but I didn't really like, well, I think at the time I didn't like people. Like if I'm being candid, that's the way I described it. I didn't really like people. So I was like, you know what? Then if I'm going to go into career and I want to do like, well in school and have lots of school because I I like education. I'm a nerd. Um, Like then maybe I'll be a medical examiner. That way it's just me (laughs) and a dead body. I don't have to talk to anyone. I can just throw myself (laughs) into a room and just do the intellectual work I need to do. And then I'll return to the world whenever I want to. And (laughs) so funny. At the time I was watching a lot of like medical examiner shows. So that's why that's so bad. Oh my God. I can't believe I said that. But anyway, no, no, that's completely fair. <laughs> it's the honest truth. And then, you know, then I go to high school and there's, um, what is it? Oh, I started taking like math and physics courses because I, I did a math science and engineering magnet program for high school. And, and I was like, Ooh, like this is coming naturally. Like, it sounds so much fun. Like what if I was a physicist, like a physicist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and design roller coasters like that'd be so cool like it's so all over the place but then I was like and I and I think it was in high school that I find was finding more and more and more of my people because this is a magnet program so I'm surrounded by people who really care about education and that matters a lot to me like um and I even find myself like there was one class there is one class I'm taking this semester and like there's a few people who are just taking it just because it's an easy a and I actually felt like really saddened during breakout rooms. I'm like, wow, like this actually matters a lot to me when people do care about education. Like, and, um, so I was like, okay, just acknowledging that feeling. Um, but just going back, like I was finding more of my people and I was like, okay, well maybe I want to do something that's like more people oriented and like biomedical engineering. And so like, that's the story. I think that's like, that was the common thing. I'm like, I'm going to be a biomedical engineer. I'm going to be a biomedical engineer. I'm going to do it. It's engineering. Plus it's like medicine. It's, it's, it's good combo, all that good stuff. And I just, I was so like fixated on that. I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. I do an internship the se- the summer before my senior year in a neuroscience lab. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I cannot be in a lab. Oh my God, this is not, I cannot do this. I need more people. Like I was like, wow, okay. I care a lot more about people. And at the time, like I was doing a lot of fundraising. I was leading a lot of events. Like I was always behind a microphone. Um, And I was like, okay, I need more people. I need more people. Um, And, but I was like, and then, and I took a class, AP Human Geography my senior year and I was like oh wait whoa I really like the social like aspect of like I think it was like an there was like an anthropologist or like there was like we watched a video on somebody from Harvard who did like some cool social science major or like pretty much every faculty member in the sociology department (laughs) I mean Um, I don't know and we watched a video and I was like huh maybe that's something I might do but at the time, like, I already applied and got into MIT. Like, I was just on this track of, like, biomedical engineering, biomedical engineering. And so in college, oh, my God, I tried almost every single major. I tried. I took a physics class, chemistry, biology. I took, like, urban planning. I took education courses. I took architecture courses. I changed my major so, 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 so many times, like, at MIT, and nothing was fitting. Nothing was clicking, except for education piece. I actually realized that I really cared about education more in, in, in college. But I was like, MIT isn't exactly the place to do it if I don't want to do it from a STEM lens. 
And so, you know, I had my awakening to like, oh, it's time to transfer. Um, and I was like, yeah. So at first I was like, oh, should I do government or something? But I was like, no, I think sociology was the best fit because it's the way I think. I'm always thinking about like how this one interaction represents something bigger. Like it's a, it's part of a bigger picture that plays out. So that's a long-winded story. <laughs> Take your time editing that one. <laughs> but honestly, like I have been, I've tried so many different things. So, 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 so many different topics. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad, you know, it's kind of stressful during, in the process of it. But looking back, it gave me such a weird, wide range of skill set. Oh, I didn't even mention I did mechanical engineering at MIT yet. That was my like eventual major. Um, anyways, and like sustainable global development, you know. Um, but that's how, like, yeah. Um, so, yeah. I just we we live and we learn and we find our place. And I think I'm coming in to the realization that like you know I'm still a scientist. I'm still an, an engineer, but I like people. So maybe I want to be a social scientist. You know, creating spaces, creating, like, making spaces, partaking in social science research, observing the world, intellect, putting my intellect and my humanity together in a, in an interesting way. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I could change my mind again. I'm okay I, with that. I gotta just be patient with myself. That's, those are words to live by, Claudia. And I think what I got out from that the most is that it's just how transient quote-unquote passion is and i hate throwing out this word passion because it's a overused and b i think misused too misused yeah because i think people label their own interests as passions a little bit too early a little bit too premature uh and and i say that out of personal experience because i labeled many things as my passion way before i even thought that they were passions in the first place Uh, Wait, sorry, way before I realized that they were passions in the first place, even if they were. And, you know, there's this common theme that has been said across almost everyone I've met so far in that, like, the interests that they've developed are more from interacting with the people of said subject more so than the quote-unquote subject itself. Because I'm sure everyone listening here can go back and correlate their best teacher in school and how you like that subject then. Guarantee. I don't think there's ever, and I could be wrong, of course, but I honestly don't think there's ever been a situation where you really love the teacher and truly dislike the subject. And I think when it comes to interests, it's really contagious and in the moment with who you're interacting with on that subject. And passion, I think, is different in the sense that it's entirely self-sustainable. You do not need anyone else to tell you or interact with you to know that this is something you want to do for the rest of your life. And I say that as a, as a theory, because I have yet to experience that. Mm. I have yet to have anything self-sustaining in my, like I can wake up every day without any like feedback loop of, of excitement. And I would want to do it, you know? Oh my, I, you're definitely coming from a first year experience because that is not, no offense. I honestly don't think that's the case anymore. Uh I did okay. think like that. I did think like that. Um, I find it interesting that you mentioned the. I'll I'll come back to passion part, but I I find it interesting how you see like correlating the teacher to the interest in the subject because I don't know if I had that in high school. I respected teachers. Like if there was a teacher who I knew was just make copying and pasting things online and giving us work to do just based on that and was not putting in the effort, fine. I'm not putting in the effort either. Get my A and go. Um, (laughs) So that was my form of passive rebellion, I guess. Um, But then the teachers who I knew created all of their own tests, all of their own notes, who really designed their class to be conducive to our learning um, and like make it as straight to the point as possible to make sure everyone's on the same page. Like literally, like what they would craft their notes that we would fill in as we go, and like we would all be literally on the same page. Um, And so, out of that, I respected them, and you know, so I put in a lot of effort to make sure I did really, really well in those classes, um, which was usually like math and physics. Um, 
also because it mattered more. Like those classes are pretty dumb. <laughs> um, so, and I, and things like that. So I don't know if I had like that subject. I was like, wow, I love this. And I love the teacher experience until honestly this semester um, where, you know, there's like one of my classes I really admire how, well, I'm not going to be that definite though. I don't really want to be that definite though. Um, but I am noticing that I'm more open-minded to liking and learning a topic when the teacher I know is crafting the class in a very digestible way and very st being student focused. Um, so that matters a lot to me and I care about how professors do things and some of my educational studies classes, like, like I said before, you can teach all you want, but you have to be the living example. And like some of my educational studies courses aren't the living example of what it means to be a good teacher, what it means to have good education, like design of the classroom. So, and I actually learned more from a sociology professor who designed their classroom in a very like meaningful way. Um, so yeah. And when it comes to like the passion piece, it's like, why does passion have to be a physical world thing? Like we tie it to, like, I am passionate about blank sociology. It's like, why does it have to be something external? It's like, what is bringing you joy through sociology? And I think like, if we keep, if we limit ourselves to the that physical piece, like, oh, there's going to be that one thing that I'm going to do my whole life. And it's that one, usually like a job. And it's like, what? <laughs> you think we're on this earth to have a job? <laughs> um, I think, and like things ebb and flow. You're going to love something one day. It's going to be hard to wake up for it the next day. And other days you're going to, it's going to be the thing that makes you get up in the morning. Like, I feel like passion is like, I agree with you, totally misunderstood. Like, I think that we should, I think I read this in an article um, that like following purpose and not passion, like what gives you meaning, what gives you purpose, what drives you, what brings you joy, what makes you feel that in the moment that is what you need to fulfill you, um, because that's going to last longer than a passion because, ooh, I really like learning about this passion, passion, passion. Okay, I'm over it. <laughs> Honestly, like I don't I think I think like passion is like a candle. Like it's only like has this very like you don't know how like it's just gonna burn out eventually and melt. But um I feel like purpose is like a fire where it's like driving oh, force. Shoot. <laughs> You're right. No, I I agree with that. And I would like to clarify when I say like interest as well. You know, for me, I didn't come in thinking I want to study anthropology. You know, actually, I was coming in thinking I was going to do, like, something STEM, like, biochemistry or something. But it was more through, like, yeah, it's, like, from a bottom-top model, bottom-up bottom, bottom up model, where I knew I was interested in stories and narratives. I knew I was interested in understanding communities. I have this loose theory that the, the more, the less a community is heard, the more likely they're misunderstood, right? Um, and that's happened to me before, too or at least I've experienced it in the sense that I thought I real I thought I knew something about some place or someone without every without ever hearing from them and hearing their side of the story and I studied them or made conclusions about them without ever hearing their side or just hearing from them on any mm -hmm. sort of topic and that's obviously wrong so from those interests I kind of crafted that like okay well anthropology history of science like those kinds of things match and that's i think yeah it's like you're not quote-unquote passionate about anthropology not every aspect of it obviously aspects of anthropology <clears throat> that work for you but no i absolutely agree and i guess for you too given that you were so clear in the mind when you decided to transfer what would be your purpose in the sense that drove you it doesn't have to be like this overarching big idea purpose, but like what was the purpose in your mind then that made you decide to switch to sociology and to Harvard mm -hmm. that, that wasn't being satisfied at, at, um, at your previous school? Mm -hmm. I think well, at the surface level, what I tell people is like, oh, I discovered I wanted to do sociology. <laughs> MIT doesn't offer sociology. I transferred. 
Um, and this next surface level thing I say, it's a little less surface level is, well, I didn't really find my fit. And I think college fit, like we talk about this in high school, college admissions all the time. Like you need to find your fit, you need to find your fit, you need to find your fit. <laughs> and it's like, I didn't realize that was like so real. So like, I think like when I was there, I wasn't in the mindset, you know, I think no matter what, you can find your place, you can find your people. I wasn't really in the mindset to do that, but also there's still the culture connect wasn't there for me either. Um, and I think if we're tying this into purpose, like I am driven by my love for education. Like I just love the process of it. The And I know there's so much that needs to be changed. There's so much that can be done to be improved and to, for it to be a more loving and place of like growth for so many people um, and, you know, social mobility or like, opening doors so that you can do more of what you want in the future. Um, I understand that there's, you know, the inequality, there's the, the issues. Um, but it's just something that drives me so much. And when I was at MIT, I, I didn't want, like, I didn't want to go to school. Like, like I've always been the kid to say, I want to go to school. Like, I'm excited. I'm scared. What? You have to take me out of school. I don't want to do it. Can you please like, let me go in half day. Like I've always been that kid. I want to go to school. But when I was at MIT, I said, I kept saying, I don't want to go to school. Like, I want to go home. Like I kept wanting to stay home, like over winter break. I wanted to just as soon as possible be back at home. And I was like, this is not like me. So I'd say like that drive, that fire, that purpose. Like, I just, I feel so, I want to feel like that love for education I didn't feel it and I'm so happy like last semester I was just like <gasps> dosing in all these like courses that are like <laughs> like very full four court full credit courses like usually some four credit courses like yeah so so but I was like all of them were like totally full four credit courses like yep give me the education I miss this I want this so soaking much. it all in soak it all yes, in. yes because I transferred last semester so I was like all that give me all that Claudia, I do want to end off with one question that I think is really, very relevant to, to both of us, actually. Um, so we were able to record once last semester. And obviously how time works is that you change from point A to point B in time. And I was wondering, just reflecting on our conversation last time in fall semester to who you are now, has there anything that's been, has, is there anything that's changed or developed or grown or lost? Um, in a good way you don't have to you know obviously you know but and and if I may just start you know um, recording many many conversations afterwards I've realized that it is inconceivable arrogant even for me to assume that I can capture the essence of someone in a conversation such as this and I learned that through obviously trial and error and talking to people about the reality of how stories work. And I've told you this before, which is that stories are artificial. There's no way around it. No one lives in a story, so to speak. Because once I tell you to tell your story, like when, when I told you, when I asked you like, yeah, how, how did you be, become a, you know, a sociology concentrator? And you had to go through like from the cul-de-sac to the, you know, middle school to high school to MIT to Harvard, like that that's not in your mind as you live through it, right? You have to be prompted to reflect in order to create a story. And that naturally takes you out of that, out of that living experience. And I think I have to understand that and kind of take a, you know, humble perspective that humans of Harvard College podcast can only capture stories, but can never capture someone or who they are and there's me i i've changed i mean i'm i've changed a lot in other places too i got a haircut recently um me too. Uh, let's go <laughs> Woo. but yeah to balance the question right back at you you know since our last mm -hmm. conversation our last conversation yeah Oh, since our last conversation. I said because this is our last conversation. Oh, oh, what? since since our last no, this is the last time we're speaking ever. No, no, but I know, hopefully not. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, a lot <laughs> has changed. Really? Like, no. like, oh, I'm so much more trusting of the moment. You know, that's just um, a bit of this whole conversation. Like, I exactly. think 
I'm uh, embodying, trusting and trusting more of myself, my knowing, my my observations, my, you know, I'm, I'm trusting more and more. And that means like shedding, shedding and shedding and letting go of a lot of external expectations, which honestly, things I just took on and created own expectations for myself, but weren't actually there. I think that's been a huge helpful piece of losing something in order for me to help, help me move forward. Um, and definitely another thing has been like, I think I got, well, I don't know. I feel like with COVID um, and being in like the whole world slowed down and, you know, I slowed down with it. And I, you know, in a lot of places, I did need that to look at myself, like really, really look at myself, be honest with myself, face myself in a way that I didn't do before. And to also like take out a lot of external stimuli that, you know, kept me distracted. Um and now the world, we're getting vaccines where the world's speeding up again. Um, and, you know, I was a little worried about that for a while. I was like, I'm not ready to speed up. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But I think another thing, too, that I think a major change is also, like, I'm more ready to to move forward, trusting myself more, for sure. And I think, and not forcing things. I think last call or last time we talked, I really was forcing a message out there honestly, like I, I had an idea of what I wanted to say and I wanted to make sure I said it in the way that I said it and share certain things, but you can't like, you can't filter yourself. You can't like choose. <laughs> well, I mean, you can, but it's not the best way. It's not the most authentic way. So I think another major theme of mine is like not forcing things and letting things happen in their own time as they're meant to. But that doesn't mean like passively doing it. I'm still actively working on myself, actively trying to return to the moment and be more confident, self-assured, more trusting. Um, and that allows me to be more and more allowing for flow to happen, you know, and, you know, accepting what is, observing what is, not running away from it. <laughs> um, and, you know, just expanding my view, expanding my view, things like that, that makes sense. next segment features our producers, Mira Becker and Chelsea Guo, and their thoughts on a strong theme we saw in Claudia's episode, living in the moment. So the first thing I just want to present, right, is just this idea, this notion of living in the moment and what that actually means for you. Because living in the moment can mean a lot of things to many different people, right? It could entirely be like, let me just drop my stuff and travel to Kotzebue, Alaska. Okay, that's more like spontaneity, but like living in the moment, like if I feel like a sudden urge <laughs> to go to Kotzebue, Alaska, I will go. That's the, that's the moment's calling, but that's one person's definition. So to set the ground, to set our de- definitions, to set our boundaries here, what is living in the moment for you or just your thoughts on this concept? Define it for me a bit. Yeah, I think like for me, when I think about what it means to live in the moment, uh, I think it's it's more of a smaller thing than than your original That's definition good. was. So I mean, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's just like I don't know. I think it can be very physical of just taking in. Okay, you know, here I am. Look at you know, look at the beautiful Charles. Feel the sun on my skin. Like just kind of grounding in like I'm here and I want to be grateful for for that. Um, and I think it can also be like you know, how do I feel physically in my body? Like tension, you know, just kind of checking in and not living off in my own thoughts, but rather, you know, understanding what I'm feeling, being grateful for what I have in this moment and kind of just taking stock of, of, of where I am outside of my own thoughts. Yeah, I would agree with Mira, definitely like checking in with yourself and being present. And I think for me, I'm mainly thinking about I don't want to wish that I was somewhere else, right? Or I don't want to wish that I was doing something else or thinking about something in the past or something in the future. The main thing that I that really um, I was, was thinking about when I was listening to the episode and Claudia's words was that I think I, my main, like, uh, I guess, like, defense against the things that she was saying was that, like, well, I, I, I was like, oh, well, sometimes I don't think I'm really someone who lives in the moment because I kind of love living in the past. I think I love being, like, a very nostalgic person. 
But then I was like, okay, I also don't think that's mm-hmm. very good all the time to always wish that you were doing something or that going thinking back on like the good old days, you know, like, oh, it was so much better back then or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily the healthiest mindset all the time. Yeah. Just on the topic of living in memories, you know, it's such a it's such a different reality because memory is 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 uh brittle in the sense that like it's it's selective and also it's it's malleable right i think memories we choose to remember certain things and therefore the reality that's quote-unquote created in a memory like for me like oh my god i think back to like summer of 2016 or whatever but isn't that like this common common like saying like summer of 2016 is like the best year for a lot of people in our generation but um sorry anyways something else regarding that. but um of course it sounds so great thinking about it back then but i'm sure like in the moment it didn't feel anything special right but um sorry that i might cut that out because that that doesn't really connect sorry i wanted to say though that i'm going to define living in the moment through two experiences i think one of which is that i recently uh, hung out with a friend uh respect her a lot but she's someone who is very uh very type a in the sense that she, she she knows what she needs to get done and stuff like that and and the entire time we were we we're hanging out she was just like always referencing back to like oh i need to get back to do this and and all that and uh, and for me it was so she wasn't present with you yeah. not not with me but just like in in just you know it, when, when when it comes to the moment i don't think that was an example of being in the moment and i've certainly felt that way too you know like in some situations like being somewhere actually this is at the at my junior prom uh, I couldn't, uh, it was, I was just constantly <laughs> thinking about just going back home, which maybe is a slightly different reason, but um, oh. right again, but that's, that's self-destructive in sense of experiencing things. Um, and the second experience I just want to bring in is, I don't know about you guys, but, and I think this is honestly like a really California thing. I don't see this often here in Boston, but at least where I come from in California, like you see anyone walking outside, they're always, they always have headphones in. And to listen to music. And then that's what I would do too. Like whenever I would walk anywhere, even if it was like a short, like two minute walk, I would still put in my headphones and blast some sort of music. And it wasn't until I spoke to a really interesting lecturer here at, here, well, professor here at, uh, here at Harvard, who's a sonic ethnographer. And he emphasized a lot about, and actually I mentioned this in the podcast about the, the aesthetics of sound and how I think when you walk and, and there's so many sounds that go on around you, that by literally covering it up with music or Justin Timberlake or whatever, like you're, you're naturally not living in the moment anymore. You're living in whatever earbud music you have and you're not appreciating the sounds that are going around you in that moment. So that's for me, that's been a change to live more in the moment per se. It's to also live in the sounds of the moment at the time. And that would be my kind of dual definition there. Uh, But I'm sure a lot of people though can, can uh, relate to the idea of like being somewhere, but your mind is somewhere else or desiring some place or something else. Uh, and I think that's an example of not living in a moment, but yeah. I mean, what I think is really interesting, like right with your example about, you know, walking with music in, like what if that is your moment? I think of when we talk about living in the moment, we kind of have this, really idealistic picture of what it means and it's become this romanticized thing. But I think, right, there's kind of kind of two counter arguments to that. One, I think sometimes like your moment can just be something else that you create rather than, you know, I need to be in this natural moment. Like maybe it is like you're listening to your favorite song and it's beautiful outside and isn't that great? Like I think that can be a moment too. And then on the other hand, I also think that there's, you know, you can go too far living in I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we talk about living in the moment that like every moment has to be the moment. And I don't think that's true. I think it's okay to get lost in your own mind sometimes. I think it's okay to escape from the moment. And I also think um, when you put this pressure to be on the moment, I know that I've definitely like been in situations where I'm like, oh, I need to appreciate this. I need to take everything in uh, to the best that I can. And that that really distracts me from actually enjoying it because the whole time I'm just thinking, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Am I taking it in? Um, so I think, right, we have to strike this balance between appreciating and also like letting ourselves be human. I really like that Mira said that, although I think I'm also probably really biased because like I just said earlier, right, I don't think I'm someone who's very good at living in the moment. Um, 
but it made <laughs> me think about how, um, and correct me if this is like, if you don't think this is related, right? But it made me think about how a lot of older generations will make fun of Gen Z for like always being on their phone too much, or for always trying to like take pictures of things or to like record things at concerts. And I think mm-hmm. that, I think that I used to like very much understand that argument, right? Where it's like, oh, you're not, you know, quote unquote, living in the moment. Like you're too busy to try and like save it for a different time instead of actually enjoying it. But also I feel like over time, I think I have like a new, like a more nuanced appreciation for it too. Like, I think it's really nice that we're always trying to capture these. I think for some people, genuinely, like the way that they can best enjoy something is by making sure like, oh, I have this, you know, keepsake, right? That I can share with people later, right? I can remember back to it later. It's a good time for me. So I want to keep it. Am I going to be on my phone the entire time? Of course not, right? But this is still something that's like part of my life now. And I want to do this, like a habit that I'm choosing to do. Um, so yeah, that's what I thought of. And I think, I think that's a moment, right? Where it's like, maybe you're not living in the moment, like very perfectly, but maybe that's okay. Right. Maybe it's for some other mm-hmm. better purpose that will still bring joy to your life, which was another thing that Claudia was saying. Right. Yeah. The whole point of that is just like live life joyfully. And so you might, you mm-hmm. might bring in that joy into your life in other ways. Yeah. That's, that's well said both on this, both of you very well said, but, um, I was wondering, do you guys have you guys watched the movie Deadpool? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the very mm-hmm. end, uh, Colossus, spoiler one alert. of the X Men. Well, okay. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's well. No, this is actually not a spoiler alert because, a- anyways, one of the one of the X Men, Colossus, the big metal guy, he he says a he says a speech about being a hero, and he talks about how people have this misconception of a hero who has to be a hero every second of the day, right? you know eat your breakfast a hero drive your car to work a hero uh, go to sleep a hero dream a hero but no he's like no being a hero is really boiling down to like four or five moments right four or five moments where you decide i'm getting somewhere by the way this is not completely off the cuff um four or five moments define you as a hero where you decide to you know save a friend spare an enemy so on and so forth and i don't know, just on mira's point this was a very circuitous way to get here but you know same thing with being in the moment you know i think being in the moment doesn't necessarily necessitate being in every moment but deciding consciously four or five moments to be there (laughs) right and to really enjoy it and i think that Mm -hmm. is a great way to put it and 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 on chelsea's point too you know like what are your what are your opinions on taking photos in like to, 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 to capture memories. Cause for me, okay, this is specifically for hiking. When I go to, when I go on hikes, I don't take photos, which sucks sometimes because you're really like, wow, this is a great view. I really want to keep it. And I have to fight the urge to take a photo. And for me, it, for me, that I think can play into living the moment because when you have a photo, it's almost like safety insurance, like a safety net. Like, okay, if I forget this, that's okay. I have mm-hmm. a photo. And that naturally makes you enjoy it, need to enjoy it less in the moment and really soak it up. And for me, when I know that this might be the last time I ever see this this way, I better just soak it up all I can now. And for me, that's done wonders for like nature hiking. And, you know, given that I'm, I live pretty close to Yosemite, I, I just go there a lot. Um, so that's just my take on I think taking pictures with people, though. Eh, okay, I also have that kind of against it but like taking pictures of food that i can i can deal with but i don't know what are your guys' thoughts obviously this is maybe a hot take but it's just how i how i've been rolling for the past few years oh you're valid david you're so valid yeah i i like taking pictures of my food but i don't really like taking pictures with other people or of like nature stuff yeah and i'm trying to i'm like trying to do my like 10 second processing of reflecting of why um yeah I think for food it's like I think food is to me is like a very like visual experience right and so I really like to just like share with people especially since I have a lot of friends who are big foodies like my roommate from freshman year Sunny hello I love you um she is like an amazing chef amazing baker and so whenever I am eating something really nice I always want to send it to her because I know that it's something that she will find really interesting and really fun um for stuff like nature I feel like, yes, right, like David said, like, oh, you kind of need to, you know, just kind of like see it for yourself, right? Not be so worried that you're, you know, you need to keep it for a later time. And maybe this is a hot take too. I feel like, honestly, at least in California and like the places that are around me, a lot of things end up looking pretty similar. 
Like, I don't think, I don't think I've ever had a moment where I've looked back at certain matrices that I've been like, I like forgot about this, right? And I like need to look at this particular photo and there's nobody could have ever seen anything like this ever again. Um, you know what I mean? I'm thinking about this mainly for sunsets. I have a friend who really likes sunsets and sometimes as like a joke, but also kind of serious, I'm like, sunsets like look the same, you know, like you have like different ones at different times. Of course, you have a lot of different kinds you could find, but at some point like it's it's going to be the same and you're going to get another one tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that so I don't think you really need to take one every single day even if it's just one that looks nice um <laughs> yeah I don't know maybe I might get canceled for this one <laughs> Mira any thoughts yeah I'm I'm definitely in the camp that like I I think I take too many photos because I I have that sense of like if I capture this then I don't have to be sad about it being over um and I think it's also complicated by the fact that like I enjoy photography like as an art um and so David to your point about hiking like if me and my family go on like a family trip and we go hiking both me and my dad really enjoy photography so that's you know I think that adds a different lens to it because then it becomes you know something that I'm enjoying doing with my dad and it's it's more of a meaningful endeavor rather than just like I need to capture this so that I remember it um, but I still feel like like sometimes both me and my dad have a tendency to get caught in the photography and not take in the nature itself. And that's something that I, I think I would benefit by working on. Um, but at the same time, I think I think there's something to be said about not having to worry about missing it. And like, sure, maybe that detracts from being in the moment. But I also think like, you know, if you're sad that you're not going to see this again, like yeah. take a picture. Like if it helps yeah. you, it helps you. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I, I should qualify my, my perspective here a bit about like intention of taking photos. If your intention is to take it mm-hmm. to 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 put ease on yourself to so that, OK, I'll I'll, re- I'll use it later. Right. So all this is all this is there's a reason behind this madness, because I remember my my very explicit memory of this occurring is that my dad you know he loves to take photos and always like wait, wait, wait stop there stop there stop there let me take a photo this is, this is great this is great and i remember i i don't i think we're actually in alaska so there we go full circle but we were in alaska and um there was like this <laughs> weird like wooden statue thing uh, it was like of, of, of like a bear or something and he was like wait wait stop there stop there um i'm gonna take a photo of this and he took a photo and i was like just looking at it and like touching it and my dad was already gone and i was like wait wait dad you want to check this out check this out like it's it has like these really cool like hieroglyphs on it almost it's not hieroglyphs but like just really cool engravings on the bear which seems like a language and he was like no no no, it's okay let's move on let's move on um i, I can look at it later it's like what do you mean we're not coming back it's like no i have i have the photo i, I can look at it later it's like what do you mean it's right Ooh, here you can take a I look see. at it like what why that doesn't make sense to me like you you took the photo as if it was you could package that whole experience up in this little jpeg and then move on right it's almost as if you're a collector and that never stuck well with me but mm-hmm. you know i also love i don't know how to do it well but like i love photography in the sense that like it, if if you if it's a mode of message and communication like oh my god that's so cool like i would like to learn how to do portrait photography one day because that is a cool join the hhc oh, photographers yeah. david that's, yeah actually i have a feature <laughs> i mean alex had a feature on me and i'm supposed to get photographed i think so Oh, uh, so nobody has contacted well, me about that. The quote, so maybe, yeah, yeah for sure. But okay. anyways, that's okay. just, that's, that's, I guess, to qualify my, <laughs> my perspective on that. But if your intention, like you said, is to bond and, and really enjoy the craft, and of course, that's, no one can critique that, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, what you said about the, the story you told, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a really good example of, of the point that you're trying to make. Um, and an example of how photography detracts from that. I guess you you just have to be very intentional. Yeah, like like you said, you have to be intentional about why you're taking the photo um, and kind of, I think if you can use photography as a way to get closer to the environment, like I think that's really cool of like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to photograph this in a way that looks aesthetically pleasing or is a bit more interesting or something like that. Like that can be grounding on kind of the flip side of like I'm gonna I'm gonna interact with the environment more but you have to be intentional about that in order to get that sense of grounding I guess I think my last thought on this because I know Mira Loki has to leave soon but maybe this is too like um I don't know idealized I don't know the word for it but I'm also part of me is thinking that like 
maybe it's I think it's good that people like have many different views on this right like when's the right situation to take a photo and what should I be doing it for because I think it's nice sometimes to have a friend who like always wants to like quote unquote be in the moment never wants to take a photo because they'll make you like put down your phone for a bit right and they'll remind you that like hey like you know let's focus on this right now um but I also think it's nice to have people who love taking photos of things um I love my friends who will like stop strangers right like in the mall which I find so embarrassing and I can't do it (laughs) they'll stop strangers in the mall and they'll ask them to take a photo for us because they really want to capture the moment or the outfits that we're wearing and sometimes I have friends who will ask multiple people they don't like the first photo that the stranger took I think it's nice to have those people as well you know having a bit of balance I guess and different mixes and different values I think is also nice Thanks for listening to another episode of Humans of Harvard College podcast. I'm your host, David Chen. This podcast was produced by Mira Becker and Chelsea Guo. Graphic design by Mei Yi Yan. The fire guitar music is by Alex Yoon. A special thanks to Claudia for being a great guest and an even more patient human being. And of course, the Humans of Harvard College organization. Go follow them on Instagram, at Harvard Humans. We'll see you next time. Thank you.